Hey, Colin, it's Rich. Uh, catching up on your podcast, I'm hearing you talk about using Google Slides and um, Google Meet together. Uh, sounds pretty good, but why aren't you just using Roll20? Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Um, anyway, I've used Google Slides for um, uh, my Session Zero, and it was really good because I, my Session Zero was a presentation, and I was like, okay, this is how I want you to create characters. Okay, these are things that you need to be... Con- um, the, this world exists. These are things that you need to know about, you know? So I thought Google Slides worked really well um, in that context. And I think I've got that presentation saved if you're interested in seeing it. But it sounds like you got it all worked out. And uh, yeah, I mean, half the time I use Roll20, I'm using it for stuff like that. Exactly, you know? Stuff that I need to, I don't need tokens for, uh, but I find a way to use tokens. And uh, yeah, stuff that I'm just keeping track of with the players. All right, man. Talk to you later. In the dark of the night, I've been searching for moons. Born evil over in an ancient room. Was a fortunate son of the OSR Without a ten-foot pole I wouldn't get very far The ground was murky and I caught a look As the dungeon master opened up his grim tooth book And then I fell into a spark pit Oh yeah, a spark pit I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. Great response from the last couple of shows. Got loads of call-ins for you. And I hope you're all well listening to this episode. Kicked off at the start by Rich Fraser of Cockatrice Nuggets. And Rich, if you're listening, I would definitely be keen on seeing your use of Google Slides. If you've got that presentation, perhaps you'd be good enough to share it with me. I certainly haven't got my ideas figured out and I'm always keen to see what other people are doing. Talking of other people, let's not mess about, let's get to those call-ins. Hey Colin, Jason here. Sorry about the background noise, driving in the rain. 5e is a separate thing from 5e D&D. I agree with you. I think 5e is a system on its own and can be used that way and has been used that way. We see modern games based on 5e, sci-fi games, cyberpunk games. Um, as, as you probably know, there's a Hellboy game that's based on 5e. That's, there's a quick start available now on drive through and it's, you know, in production, it was a kickstart. You know, Hasbro has recently announced the G.I. Joe RPG, and, and so I believe that's probably going to be based on 5e. So, yeah, 5e and Cody, our good friend Cody from No Saber Dive recently has done an episode talking about you know, how he likes 5e as a system. So, yeah, I think 5e definitely is its own thing. 
kind of like BX is its own thing, and you see adapted to all kinds of things from gangsters to space. Hey, Colin, it's Cody. Um, I was just listening to your latest episode, and you were asking about if um, you know if there are, there are supplements or other products out there that take D and D out of its normal realm of gaminess. Um, and yeah, I, I recently stumbled across a hack for fifth edition. Um, called Nations and Cannons, which takes place in the American frontier during the Revolutionary War. Um, so, you know, we can do things like role play, throwing our tea into the harbor and um, no taxation without representation and down with the evil king uh, and, you know, coming to the, the new world. Um, I, I took a look at it. I haven't done like a super deep dive on it. Um, I mean, it looks, you know, like they, they put a lot of time in making it look pretty. I'm not sure how um, any of the mechanics actually work, but um, I will look into it and I will let you know, sir. All right. You have a good one. Bye. Nations and cannons. That has most certainly slipped under my radar and I will be checking that out. So big thanks to Cody for bringing that to my attention. Also, this idea of... Um, 5e as its own thing separate from 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons and Jason commenting on that he's got some more to say but recently I've been looking at different versions and spins or different takes or hacks of white box and I find it fascinating to kind of get inside these games and unravel what it is that that the designers getting up to and and what they're looking at to change things up i can't get enough of it it's it's a little bit of a problem for me really because you end up with loads of books and i guess in some ways only only potentially a couple of games if that makes sense whether that really is a problem or not I'm not sure and oftentimes I'll pick these things up in PDF just just to kind of check them out and then if I if I really think I'm going to play them that's when I think more seriously about picking up a hard copy but good callings and yeah definitely going to check out that pick from Cody M Jason's got some more to say so let's play that for you now I'm really glad that Adventures in Middle-Earth has invigorated your, your interest in these things. I, or fueled, I don't know. I mean, you've always had interest in it, but, you know, it's it's kind of reinvigorated, I guess. But I, I think it's a shame, though, because now we need to find an alternative product to Adventures in Middle-Earth. Since that's a dead product line that's no longer produced, you can no longer buy and is only going to go up in value as collectors scrounge for the copies on the shelves. So it, I, I think it's kind of a shame that it's fallen to the um, licensing wars and trademark wars. And, you, you know, because it's a, a named property, an IP, that it's fallen to the wayside in those battles for money. So you can no longer buy Adventures for Middle Earth, which is a shame. And, and I don't think we'll ever see it again. So, you know, I don't know. This thought it was bittersweet. So I don't want to be too negative, and, and I know I haven't labeled a lot of these calls. I apologize for that. Um, I don't want to be too negative about 
Adventures in Middle Earth because it, it is a neat system. I have gone back and picked it up, but like I say, I, I just think it's a shame that now it's going to become just more and more expensive and harder to find now that it's no longer available PDF and able to buy. But, you, you know, I wonder with everything, you know, not being able to copyright rules and, you know, with SRD and all, I wonder if people aren't going to, if we won't see a, a clone of it, we won't see a, um, you know, fan-created Avengers in Middle Earth with the serial numbers filed off, you know, without the name, the proper names and all. I wonder if we'll see a version of that out there for people to use. I hope so, since it has kindled so much interest in the community. I know Pete likes it as well. And the version of 5th edition that I'm most excited about at the moment, Jason has picked up on Adventures in Middle-earth. Pete, indeed, from over at Dragons Are Real, does enjoy the game, and it, I believe he's running it either this week or next week, so it'd be interesting to hear how he gets on with that. He's also done an overview of it recently on his podcast. I believe that Freer Legan or Modifius have picked up the license and they're running with it. They were looking to put out, Cubicle 7 were looking to put out a second edition of the One Ring. That went sideways. This was when when, when the whole license uh, kind of disagreement happened. And uh, as far as I'm aware... Behind the scenes, work continues. The the second edition is going to be quite different, I believe. I don't know the designers are that are involved. And I don't know how much of it is purely the One Ring second edition or, or how much of it is going to be involved with fifth edition and what was formerly Adventures in Middle-earth. Either way, I've got the books I need. I've got the PDFs, so I'm good to go, but it, it is a shame, because I thought Cubicle 7 made a really nice job of their books, the the art I liked, the, the, the real uh, quality production values that were involved uh, uh, meant that I ended up spending more money than I would have liked, but there you go, who have we got next? Hey, Colin, Jason here yet again. I forgot to mention, I think I forgot to mention, I don't know, it was early in the morning, but I think the idea of not having a binary pass or fail system is interesting. You're correct that sometimes there's a you know, need to have binary pass or fail, but most of the time it's more interesting to have that graduated scale and have the chance of you know something going on. And you can do that with just a regular D20 roll and how close you are to the number, of course. And some systems like Call of Cthulhu do build that in, you know, with, um, you know, amount of success. And other systems have, you know, the, I'm brain farting on the right term right now, but they, you know, basically the closer you are to succeeding, if you're doing a posed role, the person that's closer to succeeding or the greater margin of success, that's the term, with the better margin of success will win. But, but I think having that interesting failure where, yes, you pick the lock, but you make too much noise or something is interesting, more interesting than just not picking the lock. So Barney of Loco Ludus was recently talking about dice pools and he put out an episode on that subject. He's 
making or designing a game called Vantage at the moment. And rolling dice is a big part of that game. But on the subjects of rolling, I do find it a little bit unusual when 5th edition comes in for some criticism. Uh, when when people talk about, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about rolling dice and, uh, you, you know, it's, uh, maybe they're cutting back on the role playing and it's, it's just rolling, rolling, rolling all the time. And I think really, to be fair, that's much more about play style than anything that it actually says in the rules. The, the result of your dice rolls can be a lot more nuanced and I think that's what I was trying to get at in my previous episode and that's what Jason is talking about there but like I say I don't want to go too much into my response here because I personally think Barney's doing a great job of it over on his show so I urge you to take a listen and um, yeah maybe give him some calls what on on this whole business of rolling dice or not rolling dice. And I think the theme of what he is saying is this, uh, I'm not, not explaining it very well, but it's this idea of the dice bringing chaos and that, that random factor into the game. Hello, Colin. It's just Safer from Safer Fancy Crafting. I just thought I'd drop you a line. You've been talking about investigation recently. I thought I'd just send this message to you. I could probably send it to a few different people who've been talking about it, but I've just I've just listened to your podcast recently. I think the way most people seem to be conducting their investigation games is that they're treating them less like investigation games that appear in novels and uh, and and films, but more like a sort of treasure hunt or an egg hunt, where the evidence and the clues that they're getting are actually just signposts, where one signpost leads to another signpost leads to another signpost, which eventually leads to the treasure. Um, and I think that's an easier way of doing an investigation game, but it's potentially dangerous in that each individual signpost is a possible bomb in your game, where if the players don't discover the signpost, the game just stops and they can't move forward, and then you have to kind of hand it to them. Or if you make the signpost too easy to discover, and the game just becomes sort of insipid and a bit boring for people. I think there's a different way of doing it, which is a, perhaps a bit more complex, but might be a bit more how they do it in literature. So, yeah, Colin, I think a common way that they do it in books and literature is that uh, the investigative team, they have the clues, they have the evidence, and then they just have to work out what that evidence means, how it all ties together. It's a question of pattern recognition. What is the story that the evidence is um, telling them? And then they can use that evidence to perhaps use lines of inquiry to discover new bits of evidence and see if that evidence ties in with the evidence they've already got or whether the evidence uh, disqualifies them. It, it, it disqualifies that line of uh, avenue of investigation and therefore proves a red herring or a dead end. I think that's probably a better way of uh, conducting an investigation. Uh, it's a bit like in Manhunter where um, he realises that it's all about vision for the, the killer and he, and he gets the tapes. He's already got the evidence. He's already got the tapes and he realises he gets the uh, team to peel off the label of the tape and find the label underneath that. There's another lab that's doing the the, the, uh, the processing. So it might be a case where you've got the evidence, you just use different skills to uncover new hints that you give to the players. So in there you can include you include religion, arcana, knowledge and... and, and, and... OK, Colin, I try not to go to a third message. These messages always catch me out. I always feel like a four-year-old kid who's talking about something that he's really excited about and just keeps going till he runs out of breath. That's what anger makes me feel like, where I'm just I'm just keep going till I just collapse. But... <laughs> Anyway, I was, <laughs> what I was saying about like with the evidence, if you give the players the evidence and then you just treat the investigation skill as a sort of hint, 
provider. You could use other skills as well to give that hint. So like with the tapes in Manhunter, you could perhaps roll a, a, a knowledge uh, skill to see if the guy would realise that there's multiple labs involved in the processing of tapes and therefore to look for another a possible another label on the, on the tapes that would give them the, that would link the, the killer to the the crime um so that would broaden that problem where you're just relying on perception all the time you could then bring in other skills to provide the hints for the game so i'm going to let you go because the time's running out again take care all the best before i get to my response to safer's awesome call in I just want to say to anybody that is struggling with the one-minute thing, as Safer mentions there, feel free to, to make your own like MP3 or, or whatever format of recording, and you can just send that to me via the email. That's uh, spikepitpodcast at gmail.com, and I can upload that and, and put it into the show. So no worries on that score. I just tend to use the one-minute anchor thing. A lot of other people do. It just sort of seems quick and easy. But, like I say, if you're struggling, there is an option. Safer's made some awesome points here. And I, I like his analogy and his referring to literature and films. And I think this is the essence of what the gumshoe system does. And when I run investigations in D&D, it's exactly what I do. Players get this information, but they don't necessarily understand what it all means. Then, of course, you are having to use the different skills and different abilities of the characters to, to, to make it all out. And sometimes... They're discovering information that relates to to different things that are going on as well. So they don't even know if some of the stuff they're finding is connected to what they're investigating. And you get this web of discoveries that all has to be unraveled and, you know, investigated. In fact, Safe has got me wondering now whether this... The, fail, the failed perception role or the failed spot hidden role derailing an investigation is, is almost one of those gaming myths. I, I feel like it happened when we were younger and I, I'm sure I've had it happen to me as a player and running games, but now I come to think about it, it's not something that's caused me a problem recently. And uh, I'm wondering, yeah, maybe it is, it's the way that I'm presenting the information. It's almost like, um, almost like a way you, you present a sandbox to players. You just lay the stuff out there and they, they kind of come across things. Great calling. It's got me thinking. Big thanks for that. Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting. Hey Colin, Eric Salzwittel here, just following up on Cody's call-in on players being taken out. Um, this actually happened in my last uh, session of Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells, which was the finale. Um, during the boss fight, um, they, he had a power called Strangulation, think of Force Choke, and he used it. And two of the players started getting Force Choked, and one of them made their saving throw after the first round, and the other one... The, 
could not make their save. And I gave them a saving throw every round to try and get out of it. And in this version of Solar Blades I'm running, I house ruled in a luck mechanic that allows them to burn luck where they can improve their die rolls. And they were just rolling really poorly, so there was really not a chance for them to get out of this force choke. And I will continue on part two. The one thing that I would have allowed and the way I kind of GM is if the players come up with a solution, like some other way to break this force choke, or maybe they could have like tried to reverse the polarity on the void magic that was being used. Um, they did have a, a, a powerful uh, void artifact or, you know, I don't know if they, I've definitely allowed them if they've come up with a solution to a problem presented, even if it's not the solution that I had thought of would be their likely path of success, I will give it a go. Um, as my buddy Mark quotes me all the time, I like to say, you can try anything. It might just not work. You can try anything, but it might just not work. I like it, Eric, and I like the fact here that Eric's giving giving players some help, he's being a fan of the players, he's allowing them to think outside of the box and staying flexible. Flexibility, something I was talking about in the uh, last Into the Pit episode in response to a call in from Liren. The, uh, the bad die rolling, well, everybody has been in a session where they just can't roll for toffee and what can you do? You, you've got a meta currency like a burning luck mechanism worked into the game, and I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too upset about that. Uh, the, 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 the player elimination or sitting on the bench type of thing that I was ranting about recently was really because I had literally nothing to do. I think if it comes to your turn and you're making a save or you're you're still getting in with a game, rolling dice, the fact that you're failing, well, that's just the luck of the roll. It's it's really when you've got nothing to do and it, it, the them save or suck type of situations. I, I did a, a handful of episodes answering call-ins and, and talking about this subject and then there were sort of like spin-off discussions. And it sounds sounds like Eric has missed some of those. And if, if you're listening and you're somebody that has missed them, it's not far back in the back catalogue. I think it's about, oh, I don't know, maybe six weeks or a, a month ago, something like that, where I was talking about this quite a lot, had, had a really good discussion about it. Uh, but But I think what Eric's talking about there. I'd, I'd, I'd be happy with that. It's obviously not what he wanted to see happening. And, you know, nothing wrong with being a fan of the players. That's that's how I like to run my games. But sometimes you just have a bad day. I'm going to close out the show with a, a call I was delighted to receive from a well-wisher, an old buddy of mine who is not really a gamer. It just goes to show that some people just tune in to Spike Pit, probably to listen to my accent. If I'm honest, they're from the other side of the pond. There's a little bit of novelty value on 
in listening to someone who sounds a bit like Dick Van Dyke or, or Ray Winston. Maybe it, it stirs some nostalgia and, and childhood memories. In this case, he's picked up on my frustration with getting the message across on Discord and comes back with a, a, a particularly well-observed example of how internet forums are not always super helpful. Hola, Spike Pit. I'm calling the old pit boss. This is your buddy, Hollywood Nate Gilton, calling in. And you know what? I don't play the games. I, you know, I faked my way through it for a good while, and I did, I had a good run. I had a good run of doing that. But you know, you move on to bigger and better things. Uh, but you know, you guys are still playing the games, and I miss you guys sometimes. So I'm listening on some of these little podcasts just to see what you guys are up to. And here you are, you know, talking about the, the Eliminator, and you know, and, and all this, and ah. Uh, I realized that you, what you're talking about in this episode, specifically when you're talking about people answering questions they don't know the answer to, or giving you like a, a, an answer that you didn't ask for to a question, you see this all the time online. You know, you 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 start looking around online and you're looking for you know how to you know fix a, a 1982 Jeep Cherokee. And you know you're you're searching around through all these forums, you're searching the Google and. And you know, you look up, you know, what size screws do they use on the exhaust manifold? And hit, oh look, I found my answer. And you pull it up, and someone's asked the same question, and you're all excited. And then there's only one answer, and the person says, "I've never changed out the manifold." What the heck is wrong with you? Why did you answer the question? You didn't know the answer to the question, but here you are popping off like you do. Who is sitting around on the internet going, looking question by question? Oh God, here's another one I don't know the answer to. Well, sorry, I can't help you. What is your you don't know how the internet works. What is wrong with you? So I, it's, it's sad to me that the same thing carries over into your your audio dungeon Discord. I apologize. I'm sorry that's that's happening to you. But um, you know, good to hear your voice, buddy. And uh, you know, you hang in there. Well, that was really nice to hear from Nate. Missing his old RPG buddies. Hope you're getting on all right in Hollywood, Nate. And it'd be nice to hear from you a bit more often. Always a pleasure. And it's always a pleasure to get all the call-ins, of course. We heard from Rich Fraser of Cockatrice Nuggets, Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Cody Marza of No Save For You, Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting, and Eric Salsweedle of Amiga 3D Chicken Coop. Bit of a mouthful of stumbling on that one. Eric is the most recent addition to the pit crew. My affectionate name from our patrons over on the Spike Pit Patreon. The folks who, through their generous support, keep me going and growing. Last but not least, I want to say a big thanks to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. And I should be back again soon. I've had a bunch of call-ins and I want to try and keep a kind of... uh, quick response on some of these call-ins sometimes they seem more time sensitive than others so watch out for that one take care i'll catch you later i fell into a spike pit oh yeah spike pit oh it would have spikes in it 
Hey, Colin, only partway through your show, but I wanted to comment that the the idea from Andy Goodman that, you know, the call Cthulhu wants you to take control of the investigators came from a call-in that he did to your show, I'm pretty sure, which is why I called into your show with it. So I'm pretty sure it was a call-in he did to you. Um, as far as, I'd have to go back and listen, though. Um, so far, you got some great comments, some interesting things on investigation. I tend to agree with Ray Otis in the idea that... Um, you don't need investigation mechanics per se in a game system and that you can plug them into any game. And I think we've agreed on that before that, you know, just cause there's no investigation mechanics doesn't mean D and D can't be an investigation game. Right. So anyway, I need to listen to the rest of your show and I need to do more research and then, um, I'll probably have to eat my hat cause Andy's probably right. Cause he does know call Cthulhu, but anyway, talk to you later.